This is the Mahabharata Podcast, episode 44, Karna Cuts a Deal. It's been a while, but last episode contained the final Markandeya session. We're also quite near the end of book three and the end of the Pandava's twelfth year of exile. I ended up skipping Markandeya's unabridged telling of the Ramayana. It seems a bit like gilding the lily to stick an epic inside your epic. So maybe in a future life I'll do a Ramayana podcast, but not now. At this point, frankly, I can't see past the Bhagavad Gita. Regarding the story of Savitri, I seem to recollect a version of this in which Savitri has sex with the corpse of her husband. I referred to my electronic version of the Ganguli translation, and this whole section of the book was missing. This is going to be a bigger problem as we go along because my print translation by Van Buitenen only goes up to book 5. After that, I will be completely dependent on the Ganguli translation. The problem is that I do not yet have a print version of Ganguli. I searched Amazon.com and they are selling the complete set for $350. I did not start this podcast with the intention of making money, but that is quite an expense for someone who is trying to do a good deed. If any of you out there happen to have a spare copy of the Ganguli translation, or know where to find a cheaper edition, please contact me at MahabharataPodcast.com. Thanks for your help. The next chapter, 43, picks up with the story of Karna and his earrings. The chapter begins with a dialogue between King Janamajaya and Vaisampayana. You may recall that the entire Mahabharata is presented as a dialogue in which Vyasa's disciple Vaisampayana recites a story to Arjun's great-grandson Janamajaya. In this chapter, Janamajaya recalls a promise Lomasha had made to Yudhishthira when Arjun was away in heaven. At that time, Arjun had been lounging in paradise while his brothers were living in holes in the ground. Indra, sensing the brothers' growing anxiety, sent the sage Lomasha to visit them and give them a message. Janamajaya recalled that Indra, speaking through Lomasha, had promised Yudhishthira that not only would Arjun soon return, but Indra would also, quote, take away that bitter fear that you never talk about. Janamajaya wanted to know, what was this fear? Was it Karna? And were they really afraid to talk about it? Vaisampayana said, At the end of their twelfth year in exile, Indra decided to do the Pandavas a favor. Karna was famous for two things, his unlimited generosity and his magic earrings and armor. Since it has been a while since we really talked about Karna, and not all of you already know this story by heart, here's a quick refresher on him. The Pandava's mother, Kunti, was originally known as Pritha. Her father, Sura, was Vasudeva's father as well. Vasudeva was Krishna's father, hence Kunti was Krishna's aunt. When she was still a girl, Sura gave Pritha up to his cousin Kunti Boja, who adopted her as his child, he being otherwise childless. While still a maiden, her stepfather hosted the sage Durvasas, and he assigned Kunti to see to his comforts. I don't know if this was the same Durvasas we met in the story of Mudgala, but that guy was creepy. He pretended to be crazy, ate up a starving man's meals, and smeared the leftovers on his body. I think it probably is the same guy, because in the story of Kunti, they describe him as, quote, a dreadful Brahmin whose decisions on Dharma were mysterious, unquote. That sounds like our guy. My guess is that sadly an all-too-common event took place. A young girl living in a strange household with her family all far away gets taken advantage of by a slightly crazy older man. In this darker, more human drama, I imagine Mad Durvasas telling her it was a magic ritual and her secret child was semi-divine. The story as it came down to us was a little more epic. It still involved a youthful indiscretion, but it preserves Durvasas' good reputation. 
We're told that for her good services to the sage, Dorvasus granted Kunti a mantra that would enable her to summon any god and beget a child by him. The next chance she had, the girl tried it out and summoned Surya, the sun god. The god appeared and he was ready for business. There was no turning back now, but Surya did her the favor, preserving her virginity. In a single day, Kunti conceived and gave birth to a boy, as resplendent as his father, who would be known as Karna. The child was born with earrings and armor, both of which granted him immunity from physical harm. Quickly, to avoid any question regarding her virtue, Kunti placed the baby in a basket and floated it down the river. The boy was adopted by a sutta, or half-caste charioteer. Thus, despite his kingly bearing and his fantastic skill at arms, Karna was shunned by the Kshatriya caste as a commoner. Burning with resentment, Karna broke in on Arjun's coming out party and upset all the fun. Duryodhana was happy to see anyone make a fool out of Arjun, so he quickly allied himself with the newcomer. To seal the friendship, Duryodhana made Karna the king of Anga. At the time, Duryodhana was just one prince among many, so where he got the spare kingdom and title to just give away like that is kind of a mystery. Thus Karna was in many respects redeemed. With a title and a kingdom, he outranked most Kshatriyas. But still, everyone knew he was only an honorary Kshatriya and that he would forever be low-born. This nagging doubt was just the thing to keep him on Duryodhana's side. And with his magical accoutrements, he could even pose a threat to the mighty Arjun. Thus, as the twelfth year of the Pandava's exile came to a close, Indra started thinking about his boy Arjun's prospects in the coming battle. The god decided, on his own initiative, to take away Karna's best asset, his magic armor. By this time, Karna had grown quite wealthy, and he was famous for his generosity. He declared that he would never turn down any request, no matter how extravagant. It was based on this boast that Indra devised a plan. He planned to come to Karna disguised as a Brahmin and to request Karna's armor. I don't know if Indra bragged about this to his buddies or what, but somehow Surya got wind of his plans, and he went to warn his son. The sun god appeared to Karna in a dream and told him what Indra was planning. It beseeched Karna to offer the beggar anything, but just do not give up those earrings. He said, those jewels are formed from the Amrit of immortality. If you lose those, you will be susceptible to death. Do anything for Indra, but do not give them away. Karna was very respectful to this deity, but did not recognize him as his father. He said, everyone everywhere knows of my generosity. If Indra asks for my armor, I shall certainly give it to him, because I would much rather die in glory than to live on in ignominy. To give generously to a Brahmin is the greatest merit. How much greater when that Brahmin is Indra in disguise? To him I would freely give my life. Realizing he'd lost this argument, Surya backed down a bit and offered a suggestion. One of the great things about making offerings to gods is that you get to ask for something in return. Thus Surya advised Karna that he should request a weapon from Indra, one that is powerful enough to defeat the Pandavas. Karna woke up at dawn with this dream still fresh in his memory. His routine was to bathe and to worship the sun until high noon, after which he gave freely to any supplicant, particularly Brahmins. This particular day, a Brahmin approached him and Karna recalled the dream he just had. The Brahmin said, give me alms. Karna said, you are welcome, what would you like? I'll give you slave girls and the income from a few villages. The Brahmin said, I do not want women or money. What I want from you is your armor and earrings. Cut them off and give them to me, if you're a man of your word. Karna said, come on, I'll give you gold, food, money, women, whatever you want, but I still need these earrings. Karna went on to explain that with these magical articles, he was invulnerable to attack. No one could kill him so long as he kept these endowments. The Brahmin, however, was insistent. 
Realizing that the game was up, Karna began to laugh. He said, You don't fool me. I know you are Indra in disguise. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you my precious earrings and armor. But you know the rules. Gods always must give something better in return. Otherwise, the deal's off. Indra said, Okay, you got me. I guess you've been palling around with Surya, eh? I bet he told you I was coming. But very well, you know my armory, so besides my thunderbolt, choose a weapon. Happily, Karna picked out the never-failing spear, which kills masses of enemies on the battlefield. Indra handed over the spear, telling him, Give me your armor, and I'll give you the spear. You can use it to kill hundreds of your enemies, or you can use it to kill just one superhero. But just be warned, it is only good for one shot. After you fire it, it will return to my hand. Karna replied, No problem, there's only one guy I'm gunning for, and this will do just the trick. Indra warned Karna that Arjun had powerful friends, and with Krishna around, he shouldn't expect too much. But Karna was evidently satisfied with the bargain, and he used a knife to slice off his earrings, and then proceeded to flay the armor off his body. Noticing the gory mess that was becoming Karna's body, Indra offered one more favor. He gave Karna his good looks back, ensuring that not a scar was left on him from his feet. Thus the trade was made, Karna handed over his accoutrement, still hot and bloody, while he in turn took up Indra's magic spear. Vaisampayana finishes up this little vignette, describing how news of Karna's mutilation cast doubt and confusion among the Kurus, while the Pandavas were much relieved. For whatever reason, we're also told that the Pandavas made one last move before going into hiding. This time, they returned to Lake Dvaitavan, where they had one last adventure. Shortly after settling down at this lakeside ashram, a Brahmin came running to the Pandavas in a flat panic. This guy was out meditating and doing yoga, and had hung his fire-starting kit in a tree. When he wasn't paying attention, a buck came by and rubbed his antlers on that tree. In the process, he managed to tangle the satchel in his horns, and then the buck ran off with it. In them days, a Brahmin who couldn't start a ritual fire was pretty useless, so this guy was desperate. Yudhishthira, of course, was keenly interested in the welfare of his Brahmin friends, so all five Pandavas set off at once in search of the Brahmin's kit. The five brothers set off together, tracking the deer deeper into the woods. This clever buck managed to elude them all day, until, as the sun set and the skies grew dark, they finally gave up the chase. Tired and dejected, they sat down to rest. Nakul started to grumble at their colossal bad fortune. He complained, We're all good people. No one does anything sinful or immoral in our camp. So why must we go through this all the time? Yudhishthira chided him, reminding the boy that bad luck visits all mortals regardless of their virtue. Bhima grumbled, If only I'd killed Dushasan the moment he laid hands on Draupadi, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. Arjun then chimed in, If only I'd killed Karna for the harsh words he spoke. Then Saadev added, And I should have taken down Shakuni for cheating at dice. Changing the subject before Nakul could add his two cents, Yudhishthira said, Hey Nakul, it looks like there should be some water nearby. How about bringing us a drink? Obediently, Nakul got up and went in search of water. Perhaps a hundred meters from the rest of his brothers, he came across a pond of clear blue water. By now parched with thirst, he knelt down to drink. Just then, a voice came out of nowhere that said, This is my property. Do not drink until you have answered my questions. Unheeding, Nakul bent down and drank. As soon as the water went down his throat, he collapsed. Around the same time, Yudhishthira was getting impatient. He ordered Sahadev to fetch a water and bring Nakul back. Sahadev quickly found the pond and also spotted his brother dead on the beach. Now burning with thirst, Sahadev grieved for his brother, but first needed a drink. Again, the voice calmly warned him not to drink, 
but Zahadev paid no mind. Soon he too was dead on the shore. Yudhishthira was still more irritated than concerned, so again he sent off the youngest remaining brother to fetch water and his prodigal brothers. Arjun picked up his magic weapons and searched for the brothers Madreya. He soon spied the two boys, lying dead on the water line. Tearfully, he called out, challenging whoever killed his brothers to come out and fight. No enemy emerged for Arjun to fight. Only a disembodied voice spoke. It said, back away from the water, do not drink until you first answer some questions. Arjun raged through his tears. Do not be a coward. Show yourself if you seek to threaten me. Angrily, he fired magic arrows in all directions, hoping to smoke out his prey. Still calm and quiet, the voice charted Arjun. Nice shooting, flyboy, but it does no good. Keep away from the water if you know what's good for you. Why won't you talk to me? Lost in grief and sorrow, Arjun was also uncontrollably thirsty. Ignoring the strange voice, he fell on his knees and drank deeply. Then he died. Perversely, Yudhishthira was still not getting suspicious. He just threw his last living brother right into the breach after the rest. Thus, Bhimasena went off looking for water. Like the others, he saw his brothers all lying dead by the water, but unlike Arjun, he did not get emotional. He calculated that he was about to join the fight of his life, so he prepared his weapons and took a drink. Bhima didn't even notice the quiet voice trying to warn him off and start conversation. He just took a big drink and fell dead. Only now that he was all alone did Yudhishthira finally think to get up off his lazy ass and find out what happened to his brothers. After tracking their various paths, he was finally led to the shoreline where he saw his siblings lying dead in a row. Never one to get consumed with passion, Yudhishthira began thinking. He pondered what type of being could have finished off these powerful and well-connected heroes and not make a noise or even leave a mark on their bodies. He knew it could not be an ordinary enemy, and he couldn't imagine even an ally of the Kurus capable of this feat. While all this was running through his head, Yudhishthira also felt an uncontrollable thirst and plunged into the water to take a drink. Once again, the creature spoke up. It said, I'm just a crane who eats duckweed and fish, and this is my pool. It belongs to me, and you may not drink without my permission. If you'll answer my questions, then you may drink. Yudhishthira refrained from drinking, but he was skeptical. He pointed out that his brothers were safe from even Asuras and gods, so how could this possessive duck do so much damage? The bird said, Okay, okay, I'm not a crane. I'm actually a yaksha, but I did indeed fell those brothers of yours. The yaksha then revealed himself. This was no genial leprechaun here. This yaksha is described as odd-eyed, big-bodied, tall as a palm tree, fiery like the sun, and massive as a mountain. The yaksha said, This water is mine. All those guys tried to drink, so I killed them. I did warn them first, but did they listen? Yudhishthira kept his cool. He said, All right, I don't take what isn't freely given. So, what are your questions? The yaksha asked, What makes the sun, moon, and planets move in the sky? Yudhishthira answered, Brahman holds all things. The gods fly around with them, and Dharma sets their course. The yaksha then asked, How about kshatriyas? What is their guiding principle? What makes them human? And what is the worst thing they can do? Yudhishthira answered, Weapons are the guiding principle of the warrior caste. Fear makes them human, and the worst thing they can do is desert an ally or subordinate in their time of need. Next question. What is greater than the earth? What is higher than heaven? What is faster than the wind? What is more numerous than man? He answered, Mothers are greater than the earth. Fathers are higher than heaven. Mind is faster than wind, and worries are more numerous than men. Question. What is the greatest of riches? What is the greatest possession? 
what is the greatest boon and what is the greatest comfort? Yudhishthira's answer, ability is the greatest of riches, learning is the greatest possession, good health is the greatest boon, and contentment is the greatest comfort. This is just a sampling of the entire Q&A session, but I'll spare you the rest. Many either don't make much sense or failed in translation. In any case, Yudhishthira was good at this kind of thing, and he passed with flying colors. The Yaksha was delighted with his answers, but remained stingy. He offered Yudhishthira the life back of just one of his brothers. He asked Yudhishthira to choose which one. Yudhishthira had his answer ready. He chose Nakula. Nakula, the Yaksha exclaimed, why on earth would you pick that little guy over his heroic elder brothers? The answer should have been obvious. Yudhishthira said, I chose Nakula because he is Madri's eldest son. My mother Kunti shall still have a son, but without Nakula, Madri will have no heir to follow her. To do otherwise would be heartless and cruel, and this I cannot do. The Yaksha liked this answer. He said, You chose to forsake your future glory and wealth just to avoid being cruel to your dead stepmother. That's pretty awesome. For that I shall give you the lives of all your brothers. As soon as he said it, the four Pandavas all rose up at once. All fatigue and thirst was gone. Yudhishthira began thinking over all that happened, and he had some questions of his own. He said, You know, I'm having a hard time accepting that you are really a Yaksha. So tell me really, are you Rudra or perhaps Indra? My brothers here have taken on the toughest guys around. They eat Yakshas for breakfast, but you've given them their lives back as easily as you took it away. Are you our father? Finally, the creature came clean. He said, I am indeed your begetter. I am the Lord Dharma, your father. I kept hearing Indra brag about how great Arjun was. And of course, you were famous for your goodness, so I figured I'd test you out a bit. You did well, my boy, so let me grant you a wish. What do you desire? Yudhishthira said, All I'd like is to get that damned fire kit back for that Brahmin. Dharma replied, Actually, I took that kit so I could get you out here. The Brahmin already recovered it and is happily starting fires for everyone. Choose another wish. Yudhishthira said, Well, we're about to enter our year of hiding. How about ensuring that we don't get found out? Dharma answered, It shall be so. No matter what disguise you choose for yourselves, no one will see through it until your year of hiding is over. You may rest assured. The god then blessed his sons and left them to plan out their next move. Thus ends Book 3 of the Mahabharata, called the Book of the Forest. Next time, we'll get started on the next stage in the story, the Pandava's year in hiding. Thanks for listening.